0: Good day, y'all, and welcome to episode 12 of the Aaron Wayne Podcast. A couple of quick words before we get started on this one, guys, to talk about... new yoga practices that I'm into, what uh, remote teaching is like, which I keep talking about because it's like what I'm living. also talk about uh, autism spectrum disorder, my thoughts on that, and a new documentary that's on Netflix that I think is interesting and worth watching. also talk about anti-bias training and what that looks like in public schools and how we can be most effective trying to get the most people to understand why this sort of work is important. So I'll see you on the other side. What's up guys, hopefully you guys are doing well. I had a great week this week, first full week of fully remote learning. I had a couple kids in my class because like, they didn't have either internet access or their parents were teachers, but other than that, man, all of my kids are at home and it is a very unique experience. In fact, check this. So I'm uh, in the middle of teaching my class and I had to ask another teacher another thing. So I had to step out of my room and go to another room and I was so plugged into the matrix <laughs> I was so tied in to the class That in my head I picture like, I unconsciously felt as if there were Students in my room and I said like Alright, hold on guys, I'll be right back Just just stay seated and I'll be right back Just like in a normal school day And then I walk into the other room And in my head, unconsciously, I'm thinking that there's kids Still in my room Where well, they're not, they're on my computer, right? They're on my computer the whole time And then I walk into the other teacher's classroom To ask her that question I needed answered and I was like where are your kids? And she's like, what do you mean? They're all on the internet. The files are in the computer. I was like, oh, wow. I lost the script on that one. I was like totally in my head about it. Uh, email notification from my student. Dude, the email game right now. My email game is Top notch, first and foremost Better than it's ever been Better than it ever was And the amount of emails that I get now Is disgusting I get so many emails Kids, parents, admin Other teachers It's just like, fill, 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 fill I think I have 10 unread emails in my email box right now Which is an accomplishment Considering I probably get like 100 a day now That might be an exaggeration I don't know, someone check the record Check the files, man so I hope you guys are doing well. A couple new things is going on with me this week. I started doing Wednesday morning yoga. Next week I'm starting to do Monday morning yoga as well. Uh, at the at my yoga studio at Inbalance Yoga Studio. Um, check them out. Inbalanceyogastudio.com. Got a lot of cool stuff. A lot of stuff online. Um, this podcast brought to you by Inbalanceyogastudio.com. No, I can't say that because they didn't. They're not sponsoring. I just work. <laughs> I just work for them and with them. But uh, that's where I do my yoga teacher trainings is through the InBalance Yoga Studio. Um, but I just started teaching 6 a.m. on uh, last week, and two people showed up. If you're a new yoga teacher, this is a really important thing to know. When you start a new class or if you're a new teacher, you're going to find yourself in a position where you might be teaching two people or one person, which is a little awkward, or Nobody comes to your class That is to be expected As you start your yoga career But uh, yeah I um, had two last week Because people were getting used to the schedule And then this week it was a full class To the extent that a class can be full In COVID I think we only let 13 people in um, And I didn't have that many But I had close to that many And it was awesome Teaching 6am yoga again There's nothing like doing yoga at six in the morning and then going about your day. There's nothing like it. It'll get your life right. Get your mind right. Get your life right. Get your body right. And so now I'm going to start teaching a Monday morning as well, uh, starting next week. So I have two 6 a.m.s that I teach next week, and then I teach um, a Wednesday evening class, a Tuesday evening class. And so, like, my yoga schedule, I think that's where I'm that's swear I'm going to keep it because I burnt out. Before this this COVID thing, like, gave me an opportunity to glimpse. Um, once everything closed, it gave me an opportunity to see how much time I was putting into doing uh, teaching yoga, which I love teaching yoga. But when you're teaching like six to nine classes a week, um, well, you get really good at teaching and you get really deep in your own practice because, well, no, actually, that's not what I mean. Uh, you get deep in like teaching. Uh, your, your practice of teaching but you don't do your own yoga practice because you don't have the time like you can't especially if you most here's another secret that they don't tell you as a yoga <laughs> as a new yoga teacher you're not going to make a living doing it i it's like almost impossible i don't know anybody i know um maybe one guy who makes a living with just yoga um i know a lot of yoga teachers nobody makes a living as a yoga teacher unless you own a studio. And then that's like a super chaotic, crazy experience in of itself. So that's a sneak tip for you. Um, But don't let that sway you from becoming a yoga teacher because it's a, a super valuable experience being a yoga teacher. I flipping love teaching yoga and I'm so glad to be doing it live. And I'm so glad to be doing the Wednesday and uh, Monday morning classes because The type of people who wake their tushy up At 5am to get to class By 5.45 or you know 5.59 right before class starts Which is a lot of people which is me sometimes too That is a different type of person They are Dialed in ready to go And I love Finding opportunities To surround myself with those type of people Because they evoke that Spirit that's in me out of me So that's that's that that's that's that that's that that's gonna be that. Take a breath, Aaron. Calm down, buddy. I'm gonna have a sip of my seltzer water. Mmm. Mm, that was delicious. Very refreshing. I um sneakily bought my wife an iPad. She doesn't know. She's been wanting an iPad forever, and it's like not her birthday. Her birthday's like two months out. But I bought her an iPad. Is that interesting? I don't know. I shared it with you, whether it's interesting or not. Here's something that's interesting. I wrote a couple things down. Um, I started watching this show with Katie, and we crushed it in, like, a week. And it's called Love on the Spectrum. And now, before you judge this show, let me lay it out for you. Sometimes, Sometimes we watch, like, stupid, cheesy, like reality tv shows and you do too you do too don't judge me but sometimes we do that and so i thought that this show was going to be that i thought it was going to be a super cheesy um like katie wanted to watch she's like oh let's see it and um and we turned it on i was like i don't want to watch this i feel like it's gonna and i felt like it was going to be exploiting people with asd autism spectrum disorder and like as a public school teacher, I work with a lot of students that have ASD and I have people in my immediate, like close loved ones um that are working with ASD and so I was like I don't want to watch this. I don't it feels exploitative to me. And Katie was like, "Yeah, you know what? They probably are going to do that." And so we we just shelved it. We we're like, "Nah, whatever." And then I heard on a po- another podcast somebody talking about it and I was like, "All right, well, let's give it a go." And so we watched this show and it brought tears to my, it was such a, it's such a touching show. And it's also, I think super important for the general public to see people with disabilities on TV. And the reason for that is because as a public school teacher, you know, I work with people with disabilities every day on a daily basis. And, um, um, that's just, part of being a teacher is working with people with disabilities and trying to make life accessible for them and to empower them to do that too. And, um, I've realized over the last five, six years I've been teaching that most people, they could, I'm 32 in October. Most people can get to 32 and have, almost no experiences with people with disabilities because our society so effectively creates spaces for people with disabilities to live in um, and sort of relegates them to like other places or society is so non-considering what the life of a person with a disability, be it physical, mental, emotional, this the structuring of society doesn't consider how to make the world accessible to people with disabilities. And in some ways you can't, right? Like, especially with something like ASD, um, some individuals, dude, and in, in autism is such a vaguely defined thing. I, I really, um, I really want to, I want to read five books on this. I want to, I want to really dive into this. Because it's, as I understand it, it's such an ill defined disorder. Um, and that's why it's a spectrum disorder. And um, that's why it has such a breadth of expression. But many people who are uh, working with ASD have um, um, like extra sensory s- um, sensitivities. So they are very sensitive to specific sounds or loud sounds or abrupt sounds and so you can't structure a society where construction doesn't take place you just you just can't do it but and so like i i I accept that and i work with that and i understand that um but things like um you know how accessible is a sidewalk does the road have a sidewalk how wide is the sidewalk um and not just for people that you would assume like people that um um, travels on in wheelchairs, but also like people who don't want to be near other people because of, uh, of a disability that they're working with. So I don't know, this show like has brought up a lot of stuff that I've thought about, but it put explicit individuals and, and experiences to it. Um, and, um, it was beautiful. I think it was a beautiful show and it brought up for me one that society isn't necessarily, um, society is trying to solve this problem, I think, I hope, and we're not doing a great job, (laughs) Um, and then on top of that, um, there's such, there's so many people with disabilities that are lonely, and it's so tragic, it's so sad, Um, and you know, there are a lot of people that um, don't have any diagnosed disabilities, and they are lonely too, so like, I have empathy for all lonely individuals, but this show like is about dating and it's about dating with people that have ASD. I just it's just a beautiful show. And another thing they do in this show is they like for example, um, for example um, I, I know somebody uh, that has ASD and this person likes to pick up rocks. And this person just loves to pick up rocks and like, I can't make sense of it. Cause it's not my experience. just picking up and the sensation of pulling rocks, like gravel out of gravel and off the, f- off the ground and feeling that in the hands and then letting it go is such an enjoyable sensory experience for this individual. And I can't make sense of it cause it's not my lived experience. And, um, this person also is really afraid of like, um, things that are things that are in places that they don't belong for example a fish tank like if you go into a living room and there's a fish tank it's like oh my god why are there fish in this living room and so for for someone who isn't acquainted with these ideas of the intense likes and dislikes of somebody again it's a spectrum disorder so some 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 people with ASD have no like huge preferences like sharp preferences like this but then some do Um, for someone who doesn't understand what that experience is like you're like well just just like stop picking up the rocks or like well it's just a fish tank just don't worry about it it's not a big deal and this show does a really good job of articulating how intense those sensations are for people and they do it by you know like you see like think of um think of those old school dating shows right like um, Aaron likes long walks on the beach and sunsets with, uh, on a picnic, sunsets and hikes in the mountains. You know what I mean? Like, it has like those sort of things. Like, Aaron doesn't like uh, smokers and people who use bad language, like those sorts of things. It does that, but it, they ask these people with ASD, like, what are your likes and dislikes? And they say things like, I really hate the sound of jackhammers, or I really like. Um, I really like, um, I don't know, s- curtains, you know what I mean? I just said that cause there's curtains in my room and what they do is they really clearly using cinematography show how that could be extremely aggravating for somebody. So you and I, because of the way, I mean, I don't know, I don't know you, but for me, I'll speak from my experience. The way that I live my life is I drive past construction. I hear a jackhammer and it doesn't even register. I just keep on cruising. I don't even notice it because my brain has learned to assimilate those sounds into the world and just let them go because they're not necessary for me to engage with. But someone with ASD like, they could hear that jackhammer and it's all they can think about. And so this show does a really good job of, ed- of showing people what love looks like in, in the autism community. What, uh, you know, what people are doing, like people that are doing really good work, trying to, um, you know, trying to enable people to live their fullest life, um, in spite of a disability, I just, I just think it's beautiful. I just love it. I just wanted to talk about it. I talked about it for like 12 minutes and, um, I hope you like it. (laughs) I, I hope you watch it. I hope you watch it. And I hope that you watch it and you enjoy it for the right reasons. Um, because, uh, some people may watch it and enjoy it for the wrong reasons. And here's the thing you know, you can watch TLC and you can watch hoarders, which is like a spectacle of, of, um, mental illness, or you could watch, um, my 600 pound life. And like, again, another spectacle of mental illness and eating disorders, you can watch all these shows and it seems like they're using these people as commodities in order to like, it's like this voyeuristic exploitation film is what it is like and this show love on the spectrum didn't do that they you could tell like there's time it makes me want to cry (laughs) there are times in the show where some of the people get overwhelmed and you can hear the producer like hey do you want to take a break and i just think it's so beautiful it makes me feel emotional because that's what it is it's grace It's grace, continually offering grace to people and understanding that they're working with the best things they have. Yeah. What is this podcast about? Not this episode, but like this, but this is number 12, right? I got my legs under me. I'm cruising. I'm finding time. I'm working it in. I'm posting them. I feel good about it. Um, What is this podcast? I don't know. I don't have no idea. But I'm excited to be doing it. I'm here. Sometimes it's silly. Sometimes I talk about sad things. Sometimes I talk about hopeful things. We did my anti-bias training at school, um, which I thought was great and sort of ties into this conversation on uh, people with disabilities. Um, We did... It was a three-hour training, which is a monster of a training. Let me tell you here and now. Three hours actually it's when i looked at it on the schedule i was like googly moogly 3 hours of a training a 3 hour tour and then we just cruise through it i i i it didn't feel like 3 hours to me but i um it was a anti-bias training um sort of bringing to the fore the conversations around um specifically i think the big thrust of the conversation was about um race specifically blackness and whiteness within the structures of of race and um then there was also some dialogue about um um able ableism i guess you would say about um people's abilities and sort of designing curriculum so it's i'm a public school teacher so all of this was structured within the context of um public education and I think it's great. I love I love that we're bringing this conversation up for people. Um, and as we were going through the training, I was thinking, um, uh, as I was listening to the presenter, I was thinking, what is the experience of people who came into this conversation thinking there's no problem, no problems of equity and race in the world? Or even worse, people who feel that um, the whole conversation around race and equity is upside down. And that um, we need to focus less on equity and more on competence. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, how is this landing for people who feel as if the existence of this training is an attack on their, um, on them? On them. So, you know, if we want to make a more equitable world, we have to make, we have to find a way to make that conversation accessible to people who think the world is already equitable. Does that make sense? That does make sense. It's like this, you know, the Kunga methodology of yoga that I teach, yoga teacher, that my yoga teacher training that I teach. Um, through the Kunga Yoga School, one of the major precepts of that is we want to make yoga accessible for all populations. People with um, who've never done yoga, people who do yoga all the time, people that are able-bodied, people that have disabilities, people that um, you know suffer from post-traumatic stress, all of these things, like it, the game, is to make it people with different levels of of um, range of motion and accessibility, and like so the languaging around it, the structures of the class, everything is like make this stuff accessible. And so you know, sometimes making it accessible looks like a really basic class, and the way that I interpret the doctrine of accessibility. Is that sometimes you sort of remove the hippy dippy factor of it and you make it a bit more about the physical practice so that they can become, the students can become more in tune with the practice through the physical asana. And then when they're ready for it, then we start to talk about, you know, Ishvara Pranidhana and um, Brahmacharya and like all these like heavier concepts in the yogic world. Um, And I think, so get in the door that is open instead of trying to break someone's door, metaphorically speaking. And when I think about these conversations on equity, um, I don't know what the most useful way to connect with people who think that the conversation isn't worth having. Because there's a whole bunch of people, especially now, so the question that I keep asking cuz we've had a couple of these things and I've yet to get a satisfactory answer is um like as a culture we've the 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 most up to date understanding of the words white supremacy and racist and this my learning from this is coming from um the podcast seen on called seeing white where they do some work with Ibram Kendi and um, I think Tanahatsi Coates is involved with that. I don't know. All of those projects start to blend together for me because they're such like structured around s- similar ideas. Um, but also, so Seen On is a great podcast. Um, I think it's season two called Seeing White. There's another podcast called 1619, which is uh, put together by the New York Times um when you when we talk about um 14th or maybe it's 16th, I don't know, sometimes I get my numbers mixed up. It's the um amendment uh that abolished slavery but then like created this loophole where if people are jailed then they can work without pay. And that's a Netflix documentary. And so all of these ideas, all of these all of this learning that um that I've been pulling in, uh, learning about, um, what's the book called? It's not white rage, white fragility, reading white fragility and sort of like educating myself. Now I'm in a space where I understand that the common or the most up to date definitions of the terms white supremacist and racist have changed from how I understood them five or 10 years ago. And I have a different understanding of how people are using that word because I've been doing the work and reading these things and having conversations. And so the so for example, uh, white supremacy, as if what do you think white supremacy means? Just take a second, think about it. What does white supremacy mean? If you'd asked me five years ago, Aaron, what do you think white supremacy means? I would have said any sort of a white, a white supremacist is a person who pushes forward whiteness as superior to anything that's not whiteness. And so that shows up in like what we saw in Charlottesville um, in 2016 or what we see um, with neo-Nazis and KKK groups and hate organizations. Like That's what white supremacy looked like to me. And now I have a different understanding that's been provided to me from the literature and from the podcasts and the discussions and the documentaries, which is white supremacy is um, sort of this unconscious systemic preference that has disproportionately advantaged white folk. And so and then the word racist is used synonymously in that context. And I if you have better if you have if this is a conversation you want to have, please let me know. I would love to learn if I'm if this is a space where I'm sort of like throwing words together and blending them. But as I understand it, the word white supremacy and racist are working synonymously within structures. And so you call it, say racist, it's like racist is someone who uses racial epithets or is actively Or passively even um, pushing down people of a race that is not the one that they they show up as. But now, what we're doing is we're not fully defining those terms in the modern understanding of them. And so you have, you know, where I live in Appalachia, which is predominantly white, and you have people who are like, I'm not a white supremacist. I'm not racist. So why am I having to go to a training and learning about this? And I think that the real task here is to enable people to see, yes, that's not the point. The point isn't that you're an overt, aggressive racist or white supremacist. The point is to understand that you know, black women are three times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. And that um, educational outcomes are disproportionately different between white and black folk. And, you know, it's education, wealth, uh, like multi-generational family wealth, um, health outcomes, all of this is drastically, drastically different. And it's drastically different in a particular direction. So you could take you could take any random group. It could be Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. And you could say this group and this group randomly assigned people who prefer Arby's over McDonald's, like two groups, whatever, it doesn't matter. And of course they will have differences in mean income, in health outcomes, and that's just the way statistics work. But when it's a pattern across categories that are uh, consistent between white and black, that's where you start to see an understanding of how it's actually a difference structurally through our society versus like oh we grabbed people who prefer tater tots and we grabbed people who prefer french fries. And if we take those two groups together, the one group will probably have better educational outcomes than the other because that's just the way statistics and grouping work. But when it's like over and over again, it's like health outcomes, educational outcomes, um, wealth distribution, uh, multi-generational wealth distribution, uh, representation in um, corporations, representation in politics, all of these things. It demonstrates a pattern. And so I got a lot more to learn. In fact, what I really like to do is I like to pull this stuff in. Like the white fragility work And the 1619 And seen on Seeing whiteness And um, The Netflix documentaries On the prison industrial complex And the new Jim Crow Which is a great book Which is all about The prison industrial complex All these things I like to pull all of this in I got 90 seconds And then I'm going to end this podcast Because I'm going to keep it Right at 30 today Pull all that stuff in And then I like to go listen to Ben Shapiro um, Steven Crowder and a really important thinker in my life who seems to be running counter to um, the tide of um, equity, uh, like this equity acknowledgement and the equity work, is Sam Harris. I'm a huge fan of Sam Harris, and he differs than with the public discourse, which I think is really interesting. I think my video is going to end in 40 seconds. And so I will keep this here at 30. I didn't find any summation. I didn't find, I didn't wrap this up for you. Um, and that's okay because it's an ongoing dialogue. Um, I don't know. I'm hungry. I'm fasted still. It's 4 o'clock. I haven't eaten yet. So I'm going to go eat. I'll catch you guys on the next one. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to throw a quick one in there. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, I'm going out to have a glass of wine with my wife. And before she gets home, I'm going to just crush a quick pod for the people. So hope you guys are doing well. Follow along uh, with my story and what I'm up to at AaronWayneYoga.com. So shoot me an email at hello at AaronWayneYoga.com. My Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook are all at aaronwayneyoga. 12 podcasts man we're doing it we out we out here y'all hope you're doing well and I'll catch you on the next one